Hello and welcome to the CEO Blind Spot Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Benton Crane, who is the CEO of Harmon Brothers, the company behind the most viral ads internet history. And in fact, the company's been featured on the Wall Street Journal, ABC's Nightline, the New York Times, Forbes, and many others. In fact, the team, Benton, that you have led are the masterminds behind some well-known advertising campaigns that includes one that my daughter and I got to see and we were cracking up. It's called Squatty Potty. But more importantly, you guys also had the Aura Brushes Bad Breath Test, which was such a massive success that it is now taught as a case study in business schools all over the world. Anyway, welcome to the show, Benton. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. So I got connected with you through my previous podcast guest, Art Getz, who said you would be a fantastic guest. And then when I saw your background, I was like, yeah, I can see why he connected us. I I did some research and I saw that the ads that you guys have created have gotten over 1.5 billion views. And some CEOs may say, more importantly, they drove over 350 million in sales. But you yourself have also started two other companies, one of which you sold successfully. So I know our listeners are curious, what are one or two tips you have that you attribute to your success? Well, (laughs) one or two tips. I think a few campaigns that didn't get mentioned in that introduction, there was Squatty Potty, but there was also Poopery and more recently Lumi Deodorant, Purple Mattresses, and there have been a bunch of others. And a common thread that kind of shows up across our work is that we're not afraid to kind of tackle taboo subjects. And that shows in our advertising, and we've driven a lot of success around these products that are typically pretty taboo, mm-hmm. uh, deodorant or bathroom products or, or whatever the case may be. But in order for, for that to happen, we've kind of had to create a culture within our team that creates a safe place for taboo things and hard conversations to mm-hmm. to happen. And so we've worked really hard to kind of create this culture of, of radical candor and And really let those type of conversations flourish. And when the pandemic hit, we've always been a partially remote team. But of course, the pandemic kind of forced us to to get far more remote. And it kind of threw a wrench in in the communication dynamics where Mm. usually when you're having a taboo conversation, it's so much easier to have it face to face because... You're there in the same room. You can feel the emotion of the conversation. You can feel the intent behind people's words and all of that stuff. And it really smooths things out for those hard conversations. And then when you try to take those online, take them to Slack or email or whatever it is, they get a lot more challenging. And and sometimes the intent doesn't come across right, or the intent gets interpreted wrong, or the tone of the conversation can, can really change and become more challenging. And so we really found ourselves struggling throughout 2020. And especially as we kind of got into that really heated election cycle where just everything on social media and everything about politics, it all got so polarizing and people were just so on edge and kind of upset at other people's views and that sort of thing. And and we started seeing some of those negative dynamics creep their way into into the office culture. And that for me, that was really nerve wracking because I'm like, ah, we, we've worked so hard to create this safe culture where we can have these these hard conversations. And I feel like now all of a sudden it's not safe. And conversations are starting to turn in a way that people are taking offense one to another, which Mm -hmm. is making it so that people are more hesitant to have the hard conversations and 
and talk about these things. And and so my my partner Daniel and I we were we were just debating what do we do about this? How do we handle it? And and there was a point where we considered you know what, maybe we should ban politics from the office and just tell yeah. people, hey, leave, leave it at home. And as we thought about it, though, it just didn't feel right for us because in the past, we, we've always kind of had this culture of like, bring your whole self, bring all your ideas, you know, no idea is a bad idea. And we had really tried to create this culture and we felt like that type of policy would really fly in the face of the culture that we had created. Mm. And and so as we were kind of searching for something better, Daniel came up with with the idea of like, well, what if we continue to allow conversations around politics to happen, but we require people to put their face behind it. So in in other words, if somebody wants to jump on Slack and post an article that it's it's a polarizing political article or whatever, fine, they can go ahead and do that. But before they do, they also need to turn on their camera and record a video of them sharing why they're posting that and what it means to them and and the intent behind it. Yeah. And then as other people see that, they can also jump on and they could present the counter argument or they could refute it. But they once again, they have to put their face behind it mm-hmm. so that we don't lose that that face-to-face, that emotional connection. And so anyways, we we implemented that earlier this year. And we were seeing great results with it. And then just a couple of weeks ago, probably many of your listeners saw it happening, but the company Basecamp out of San Francisco, they banned office politics and it blew up in their face. And the media was was picking it up. Cancel culture was picking it up. They were having big walkouts where a bunch of their employees were leaving and everyone was up in arms over this. And and so I just posted on LinkedIn that, hey, I empathize with them. I, I understand the the feeling of of, hey, maybe we just need to ban this from being in the office. But I think the approach we landed on has ended up being better than the approach they landed on. And I had no idea that that was such a topic that so many people wanted to talk about and needed to hear about. But that post, everyone was commenting on it and sharing it and everything. And the Wall Street Journal contacted me that day and they're like, hey, we're running a story on on politics in the office. Can we interview? And so they, they wanted to hear about the approach that we had, had taken and and so unknowingly, just trying to solve a little problem that we were dealing with, it ended up being something that apparently many other business leaders are dealing with it as well. And so anyways, ho- hopefully that's helpful and hopefully other CEOs and, and executives can apply some form of that to their own companies. Well, I, I can almost guarantee you it's very helpful. I know from my own clients that they were dealing with a lot of the same concerns. And, and like you said, if, if you do it via text or email, people misinterpret it and, and people literally quit over it. But hopefully leaders can prevent things like that. So thank you very much for sharing that. And then of course, I'm also wondering, was there a time during your career as a CEO, if you will, and leading people that you struggled with something and that you discovered a blind spot about your leadership style? Yeah, actually, early on in our history, so our, our first campaigns were Poopery, and then there was Squatty Potty and Purple Mattresses, and all three of them were like smash hit successes. And they were so successful that they kind of painted over a big flaw in our business model that we didn't realize it was a flaw because we were so successful in those initial campaigns that we just didn't believe that there could be this flaw in our business model. And so when early signs started showing up, and I'll go into the details of what the the flaw was, but when the early kind of 
signs of cracks in the foundation or whatever started showing up, I refused to believe them and mm. and kept sweeping them under the rug, so to speak. So let me go backwards and I'll share the details of, of what happened. So we basically built a business model that said, hey, we'll build these campaigns for these clients, very affordable rates, and not plan to make a ton of money on the production of these campaigns. But then on the back end, we would take a percentage of the ad spend that would be driven to these campaigns. And so the theory was that the client only pays us if the campaign actually works and it's worth spending money in ads behind. And and so we thought that was creating this perfect alignment where we only win if the client wins and the client only has to pay us if, if the ad is working. And in theory, all of our clients up front, they really, really like that. Where can I sign up? <laughs> yeah, it sounds perfect, right? Yeah. But in practice, and this is what kind of caught us off guard and we, and we didn't expect this, but what happens in practice is that once the client starts paying those monthly royalty checks for mm -hmm. the, the percentage of ad spend, the first few checks they're like, oh, yeah, I agreed to this. And then the next few checks they're like, oh, you're really getting tired of this. And then a few checks later, they're starting to go, I am really sick and tired of paying these royalty checks. And by that time, they're absolutely resenting us. And so we had built this business model with the intent of creating this perfect alignment between us and our clients. And despite driving massive, massive success, we ended up driving a wedge between us and our clients. You fast forward a few months after the big success, and all of a sudden we're having all these relationship struggles and we're having a hard time keeping the clients and keeping those relationships. And as I'm seeing this happen, I'm refusing to believe that our business model is the culprit and it's the problem. Because in my head, I'm thinking it's aligned. It's perfect. The clients love it. it it's successful. And all Benton, of those things. had any of your team members tried to tell you? Yeah, I actually, I actually had one in particular who he kept raising the red flag and sounding the alarm and saying, I think the problem is here. And I kept pushing back and, and telling him, no, it, it, it's not. That's what's creating the alignment. That's what's creating the right incentives for our team, for our team to perform. And it, it took me a while to come around. And it was actually, I was in a, I was in a meeting with a potential client. It was a big potential client. It was one that I wanted to win badly because it was, it would be a really, really meaningful contract. And, and the CEO of the company, he said something along the lines of, yeah, I know your business model. I've heard all about it. It's awesome until it works. <laughs> and, and I was, that caused me to like stop and scratch my head. I'm like, it's awesome till it works. What, what's that supposed to mean? And that was when I finally got self-aware enough and finally reflected back on it and realized that he was right, that the more successful the campaign is, then the bigger those royalty checks would be. And the more it hurts, the more pain they feel each time they're, they're writing those royalty checks. And so e even though most people on the outset really like the idea, someone as experienced as that particular CEO and and as wise as that particular CEO, he was able to see through it and could see that it wasn't actually creating the alignment that we thought it was. We ended up pivoting. In hindsight, we probably piv pivoted a year later than we should have. And we went through a lot of hard things because of how slow I was in making that pivot. But we eventually got there. And sometimes I'm bullheaded, but we, we, <laughs> but he, we made it. 
I was going to say, obviously, you made it because you're, you're continuing to succeed. And, and I certainly appreciate you being open about this. So as we start to wrap up the show, you made it through this. You've made it through the crisis. Anything else you want to tell our, our leaders regarding making it through crisis moments? Several years ago, I read the book Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. And it's all based on this premise of if everyone in the organization has a shared why, shared purpose behind what they're doing, then then the team is united beyond just your typical, hey, we're, we're doing cool work, or we have mm-hmm. a cool client, or hey, we're making good money, or we have a good work-life balance, or all these other things that tend to attract people to a job. But when people get aligned behind a why, it runs so much deeper. And one of the things that has happened as since we've really implemented that and applied it in a deep, meaningful way, our turnover and our attrition has gone to darn near zero. Like we Mm. We have just been able to hang on to our talent through through good times and bad. And like any business, we've had our ups, we've had our downs, we've had times of plenty, we've had times of drought. We, we we've had all the struggles that came with the pandemic last year and 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 everything associated with that. But the one thing that's held held true is that our team is so united around this shared purpose. And for us, that shared purpose is we call it share better stories. And that, that has lots of layers of deep meaning for us. But one of the most important is we we want to tell stories that make the world a better place and make a positive impact on the world through our storytelling. And getting united behind that has just proven so beneficial and so meaningful to both recruiting and and maintaining a really, really talented team. Fabulous. Well, now that you've shared your why then I think that there's going to be lots of people interested in, in reaching out to you guys. So if they want to know how to work with you, they'll go to harmanbrothers.com. I'll put that in the description. But Benton, I really like how you added that PS, extremely valuable again for CEOs to know. So thanks again for taking the time to be on the show. And I'm glad you continue to do what you do best despite circumstances. Hey, my pleasure. Happy to be here.